Thank you so much. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to go right to some slides here. Uh, this church has been an avid supporter of our ministry to Vietnam. And uh, the good brother, Brother Brothers, he said, we're retired. I guess in one sense we are, but I still make about four or five trips to Vietnam every year. And uh, this is some of the results of the last trip. Praise the Lord. Uh, this church helped us with an offering along with others to provide 3,600 doctrinal books to people we're working with in Vietnam. And there's, praise the Lord, important Bible truths, water baptism, and the necessity of the Holy Ghost. The next slide here. Uh, one of the seminars that we taught this couple months ago was to a, this Baptist group. And I spent time there teaching them about water baptism. We're going back in a couple months and I asked my interpreter if this group wants me back. First, they sent a little question. They said, we want to know this, sir. Do you believe we're saved by believing or by being water baptized? And I said, well, I'm not God. And I can't answer that question for you. But I said, here's what Mark 16, 16 says. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Here's another scripture, Acts 2.38, and here's another scripture. I said, I think let the Bible just speak for itself. Well, they're inviting us back to teach this time on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is another Baptist group, and uh, this particular leader back there, you can't see him very well. He is now the uh, assistant superintendent of the largest Baptist group in Vietnam uh, with like 86 uh, 86,000 people, and this entire group have been baptized in the name of Jesus. They've all received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. That's why they look so happy. The next slide, this is another Baptist group that we met with. This is the one that's invited me back. Next slide. Amen. This is the Mennonite group up in the central Vietnam. They all have the Holy Ghost. They've all been baptized in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. And one of the Bible school students that we, we brought to uh, the Philippines to teach, he's now in the central Vietnam. And you can see on the right-hand side there, he said this to me. He said, places where the is oneness of God had proclaimed and did baptize too many people in Jesus' name. And you can see that there's a Christ Church, the MCA, I think he meant uh, CMA Church the Mennonite Church, and the Gospel Church of Jesus Christ, the Methodist Church. These are places where he's been, shared the gospel, and has baptized these pastors and their congregations in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're so excited about that. Next slide. And you can see that these are some of the young people we taught in um, the school in Acts. They're baptizing people. Next slide. They're baptizing in the war. In the, rivers and then this baptismal tank that he built himself next slide and there he is out there in the river again baptizing this pastor and his family next slide and here's a youth revival taking place all these young people have been baptized in jesus name <laughs> amen next slide and uh, this church also helped us with an offering a while back to provide Bibles, and this is just some of the Bibles that uh, he picked up to give out to different members of the church. Next slide. And uh, you can see they're having these little meetings, and they're passing out these doctrinal books, 3,800 of them. He has uh, 600 of these books because he's one of my 
favorite uh, young preachers over there. He's doing a good job. Is there another one, or is that it? Okay, you have your uh, vacation Bible school, and uh, this is a uh, Christian Missionary Alliance Church, and they're letting my good friend, who has been converting all of them, to help with this fine young congregation, as you see right there. Can we just stand right now and pray for Vietnam? Let's pray that God's hand would continue to move upon those that we've converted, those that understand our message. And uh, in this particular place where you see all these pictures of the water baptism, it's a highly persecuted area. And uh, we as Americans can't get in there. These are minority people, and the Vietnamese government is really tough on them. And they restrict them from having large meetings. They can only gather in small groups. And when they gather in larger groups, they persecute them. Uh, they've been beat up before. They steal their Bibles. They shut down their buildings. They take their computers and even uh, confiscate their motorcycles. And we just need to keep our, them in our prayer. Can we do that right now? Amen. Lord Jesus, we ask your blessing upon the work in Vietnam. We pray, God, that you will continually open up hearts and minds and that you will reveal your truth to many people. God, you've opened doors to the Baptist Church. You've opened doors to the Mennonite Church. You've opened doors to the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, God, the Methodist Church. And we pray right now, God, that these leaders, God, would receive. God, open up their eyes that they might receive it. Touch their hearts, Lord, that they would do the work of God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, praise God. I'm going to go to the scripture text right now before we're seated. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I was asked to write an article in the Pentecostal Herald a few days ago and um, uh, about uh, the work in the United States concerning the Vietnamese. They've appointed me the National Coordinator of Vietnam Evangelism in North America, which would include Canada. We haven't really seen a lot of breakthrough yet, but I, I wrote the story about a young man that's coming to the Lord out of Washington, D.C., and the title of uh, that article is Vietnam Ministries. And then my daughter helped me. She put a stamp across the top that said paid in full. And tonight I want us to take a second look at Calvary because it's paid in full. And I want to share with you all that God has given to us. And a lot of times we live beneath our privilege because we don't understand all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all. Everybody say all. Not a few. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Amen. I want you to see the beauty of what happened on Calvary and all the blessings we have that Jesus won for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for the word. We ask you now, Lord, to open our hearts that we might see. And we thank you, God, for this opportunity to share tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. What I'm going to share with you tonight really has to come by revelation. It can't come just from your brain. You can't, you can't pick this up just by a mental ascent to this truth. You have to really get an understanding through the spirit of the Lord. 
I could take a scripture like First uh, Peter 2.24 and other scriptures, and I could prove to you, and you already know this, that uh, in the atonement, Jesus Christ already paid for our healing, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. That's past tense. But in order for us to really grasp this, it's got to get out of your mind. It's got to get into your spirit. The Bible said you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But it's really not truth that makes you free. It's the truth you know. It's the truth you understand. And if you don't get a revelation of what I'm speaking about tonight, you may miss out on a lot of blessings. So you pray right now that God would help you and help me relay this to you so you can understand what I'm trying to get across tonight. Amen? In order to really appreciate Calvary, we have to get a revelation of it, and then we have to learn how to appropriate all those blessings into our personal life. Let's look at Colossians 2, 9 and 10. I want you to see that we are complete, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete. Everybody say complete. In him, there's a key, it's always in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. If you look at the dictionary, the word complete means having every necessary part or everything that is wanted or needed. Having all the necessary qualities or abilities for a particular role. Now, I want you to understand that we are coming from, or we're, we're coming from a victory. We're not working towards a victory. Amen? We're coming from a victory. Past tense. All these spiritual blessings have already been given to us through Jesus Christ. In fact, the entire book of Ephesians, which is my favorite book, is written from the standpoint that everything that you see there in Christ has already been accomplished. Amen. This book is all about what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. But we still have a lot of Christians today that really don't understand what Jesus Christ has done for them, and they spend most of their life asking the Lord to heal them, to deliver them, to bless them, to prosper them, over and over again, as if God has not done anything. Now, all of us understand that God has done something for us. We know that God can do anything, but there's not a lot of people that believe that God has already done some things, past tense. And what I want to share with you tonight is what we already have, amen? We're always looking to the future. In fact, many prophecies today that come to the body of Christ are about what God is going to do. They're always futuristic. But there's not a lot of teaching about what God has already done for us. And the whole book of Ephesians is written from the exact opposite. Amen. This is what God has already done for us. So as a Christian, you and I here tonight, a true Christian is supposed to be not seeking victory, but enforcing the victory that Jesus Christ has already won for us on the cross. Amen. We are coming from a battle, Calvary, that's already been won for us. The Bible said we are more than conquerors through Christ. Amen. I pray that tonight you get a revelation of what Jesus Christ has actually done on Calvary for you. So we're actually not trying to get a healing. 
We're trying to enforce the healing that he won for us 2,000 years ago. Amen. What we're doing is fighting the good fight of faith. Amen. To hold on and appropriate what is already ours. Amen. You follow me? We have to appropriate it. We have to bring it in. We have to get a revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for us. There's probably some of you here tonight that you struggle with um, condemnation and guilt and feeling unworthy. And if you get a great understanding of what I'm sharing with you tonight, you might lose some of those feelings. We, we also need to understand that what Jesus has provided for us has been done like 2,000 years ago. Long before you knelt at an altar, he took care of this plan called salvation. In fact, in the very beginning, before he created Adam and Eve, he had a plan. You are a byproduct of the mind of God. And there's, there's no accidents with the Lord. Everything that he done on Calvary has been provided for you when you come to him. So we need to understand one thing. You can't deserve this. You can't do one single thing to deserve what God did on Calvary. You understand what I'm saying here? It's a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave. What is a gift? A gift is free. Something that's already provided. Amen? We need to understand what God has done and appreciate the fact that we cannot do things to earn his love. He loves us. Grace is the unmerited favor. That means undeserved. None of us deserve what we're feeling here tonight. None of us deserve what he did for us 2,000 years ago. But he did it because he loved you. He did it because that's his desire and that is his plan. Now, for some reason, and my wife and I have spent a lot of years in the Philippines, and the majority of the religion in the Philippines is from uh, the Roman uh, country of Rome. And uh, they do a lot of strange things over there, especially around Easter. We see hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are serving that type of religion actually crawling on glass. They'll take a whip and they'll have sharp edges of glass and nails at the end of it and they'll whip their own back until it's raw and bloody and there's hundreds of them walking around. They'll put a crown of thorns on their head until their forehead bleeds. They'll actually have somebody nail them to a cross and they'll hang just like Jesus did thinking that somehow by doing this penance, by doing these things, they'll be pleasing God. I've been to Rome. I've seen young people, I've seen old people on their hands and knees, crawling up a vast number of steps up to a statue that has a big toe that's been replaced several times of Peter as they kiss it, thinking that by crawling up the steps that this will cause them to get God's favor. And we, we call that weird. We don't do that as Christians. But in our own Pentecostal theology, many times we have our own penance. Now, please don't misunderstand me because I believe in prayer. But just because you pray 10 hours a day 
and fast two weeks and read your entire Bible, that's not going to get God to love you anymore. That might cause you to love God more, but it's not going to cause God to love you anymore. And when you understand what I'm trying to share with you tonight, you're going to understand that there's not anything that you can do to deserve God's love. He loves you. Amen? And it's going to take, I know, God, you can do it, but will you do it for me out of your mind? Because there's a lot of us that think, well, God's going to bless the pastor. God's going to bless this leader. God's going to bless that Christian, but he's not going to bless me. This will take away that kind of thinking. Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is. Everybody say, is. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have to believe that God is. He's not a was. He's not the great I was. He's not the great I'm going to be. But he is the great I am. He's already done that, folks. Present tense. We can enter into the blessings of Calvary when we understand what he's done for us. But a lot of people don't believe that God's blessed them. They still think it's off in the future somewhere. And you, you've seen those greyhound dogs when they take off in the races. They got uh, a little rabbit out in front of them. And they chase that rabbit all the way to the end. But they never actually get to touch it. And sometimes you serve God like that. It's like all the blessings are out here like they're dangling the carrot. And you never really reach it. You never really get there. You never really obtain that. And you live in guilt and condemnation. But that's not faith. Faith is not that God can do something. Faith is God has already done something. Have you ever seen the plaque? Faith is not believing that God can or will. I mean, faith is not believing that God can, but God will. Have you seen that? Let's just add something to it. Faith is not believing that God can or will, but he has already done it. Now, I'm... You don't know me very well, but I do have a strange sense of humor sometimes. Amen. It might take you a while to get used to me. But I'd like you to throw up a song here. When my wife and I, about nine years ago, we were asked to go to Prague and care for our church for three months while the Bucklands were on deputation. And uh, this was a very popular song back in that day. And I think the title of the song is, This is the Air I Breathe. Okay? This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence. It's a beautiful song. Let's go on. And this is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me. And this is the part I want to bring to your attention. And the song goes, I am desperate for you. I am lost without you. And you know, I was thinking about that song. And a lot of the songs that we sing... And I'm going to explain that as we go on. As I, if I, when I worship now and I see songs, I look at them, and if they're not correct scripturally, I just change them in my mind because I know what God has done for me. If you know what I'm saying? You know, we're dealt with the hand that we have, and we, they're beautiful songs. And as we were singing this song over and over again, it finally dawned on me. And uh, so after the song... Our little congregation there in downtown Prague, sweet bunch of people. I, I was just being myself, my little 
weird personality. And I said to them, how many of you are really hungry for the Lord? And they go, amen, pastor. We are. I said, how many of you are desperate for the Lord? And they said, amen, pastor, we're desperate. I said, okay, let's look in our Bibles at John 6, 35. And I had him read it. John 6, 35. And Jesus said, he's going to say, Amen. I, want, I have to wait for this. That's my punchline. <laughs> and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And I said to them, what's wrong with this picture? I'm just playing with them. Because, you, know, you can sing that song. But if you understand what Jesus Christ actually did for you. And there's another scripture, John 4, 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall what? Never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So maybe there should be words for the unsaved and words for the Christians that are singing the song. Because when you look at the word desperate, it means despair. And despair means a prolonged feeling that there is no hope. I'm not desperate, and I know you're not desperate. So when I sing that, maybe I change it around a little bit, and I, just, I desire, you know. I'm not desperate. How can I be desperate when I have the presence of God living inside of me? And inside of me is everything that he conquered on Calvary deposited in my spirit. There's no way that I can be desperate as a Christian when I know what Jesus Christ has done for me. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, and we'll just go to verse 13. Now, this is a scriptural truth here. Those who passively sit by and don't desire the things of God sometimes get passed over, not because God's not willing, but because you're not in a place of reception to what God has already done. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. But if we are using the word hungry for empty, and you're saying, God, I have no joy. God, I have no peace. God, I have, you know, I'm, I'm desperate. If you're singing that and you really mean it, then you don't have a revelation of what happened to you when you were born again. Because if you understood what is deposited into your spirit when you receive the Holy Ghost, there's no way you're going to be hungry, and there's no way you're going to be thirsty, and there's no way you're going to be desperate anymore. I'm still having fun with you. You're looking at me like I've come from Mars or something. Amen. So, as a Christian, I hope you're not always saying, God, I'm hungry. I have no joy. But that seems to be the average Christian experience for many this, this day. Now, I know that a lot of you love to eat, like me. And one of our favorite holidays is Thanksgiving. 
right? And we forget about why, but we love the family to gather together, and we enjoy that wonderful meal, don't we? And, you know, we've had plenty of them with families and friends, and, you know, they got the table. It's spread out with a tablecloth. you got your finest china on there. And Thanksgiving, I mean, you got turkey, and you got ham, and you got potatoes, and you got gravy, and you got the salad, and, and you got the cream corn, and you got the cranberries, and you got an apple pie, and you got a, a cherry pie, and you got a lemon pie, and, and, and you've got a pumpkin pie, and you got a pecan pie, and you got ice cream. And you're sitting all around the table, and you know, you've been there, you've done that many times, right? And somebody says grace, and you're ready to partake of the feast that's right in front of you. And people start digging in, and there's one character on the other side of that table. And he's, he's looking at you like, what's wrong with you guys? And, and he starts to speak, and he says, I'm so hungry. Please feed me, feed me, I'm hungry. And you're looking over at that guy. And he's got two good hands and arms, and he's got legs, and he's got a mouth. There's nothing wrong with the guy. And everybody around him's enjoying the feast, and he's crying out, please, please, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. You get my point? The Lord has a table spread. Everything you need, everything you want has already been paid for. Amen. In the Old Testament, he said he even prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Every blessing that you ever need, every blessing you ever want has already been paid for, purchased on Calvary for you to enjoy. So we wouldn't have pity on that person, would we? No, if you're hungry, pick up the knife, pick up the fork, and eat. And I think that's what the Lord would like us to do. Understand what's been won, what's there, what's available. He didn't die for nothing. He died for everything. And he paid the price for everything that you ever want. And the table is spread. He's not waiting. He's, what he's waiting for is you. There's nothing God can do anymore. He's done everything that he can do. Amen. He already came. He already died. He already paid the price. Blood was shed. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He won all victory that you ever need. The table is spread. Now it's up to you and I to understand what he did at Calvary. Pick up the knife. Pick up the fork. And dig in and enjoy the blessings of the Lord. And if we don't understand this, sometimes we think it's, it's God's fault if we're not feeling what we should feel. There's been a lot of talk in years past about God doing a new thing. I don't know what else he could do. He doesn't have to do anything. We have to learn. We have to appropriate. We have to enjoy. We have to tap into what He's already paid the price for it. Jesus said, you shall never hunger. He said, that he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I'm going to stand on that scripture. I'm not hungry anymore. I'm not thirsty anymore. I know where the well is. I know how to dig into the well. I know how to pull out of the well. I know how to receive the blessings that God said I have. Look at Galatians 5.22. Now, when you were born again... This came with it. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love. So if you don't have your own, you can borrow his. Joy, if you don't have your own, you can borrow his. Peace, if you don't have that, you can borrow his. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's already given to you. It's already deposited. It's already in your born-again spirit. So you can enjoy all those blessings when you appropriate it. And I know you've been there. When there's a tragedy in your home or your life, all of a sudden you feel you pull out some peace that you know that's not yours. It's not human. It's peace that you can't even understand. It's the peace of God. When you don't have any joy in your life, there's many times that you've tapped in to the joy of the Lord that's inside you. And you, you, you lean on what He's done. Uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit. There's no reason for you to be hungry. There's no need for you to be thirsty. You just need to tap into the well. Tap into the blessings that He already paid the price for. You still with me? Uh, okay, just wondering. I thought I lost you back there at Thanksgiving. Somebody ran out to get a hot dog. So I pray and you pray. I fast. I, I used to fast a whole lot. I probably should do more. And I do read my Bible. But I'm not doing that to get God blessing. I'm doing that for me so that I can receive his, what he's accomplished. Amen. I'm not doing that to earn anything. I don't have to do that to earn his love. I do that because I want to love him more. He doesn't need that. I need that. I need to draw in. I need to get a revelation. I need to see what's going on. So if we get hungry, then it's not God's fault. Somebody wrote a song, come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. Amen. Do you know that you carry God's presence with you when you're born again? That you can get, you can get this at home? That you can get some of this in the car? That you can get this where you work? You don't have to wait till Wednesday night to have what Jesus won on Calvary, 24 hours around the clock, on vacation, in town, no matter if you're on the moon. I want you to know Jesus Christ is there. So if you misunderstand what I'm trying to say tonight, that you might think that you being empty is God's fault, and it's not. Amen. He doesn't need to do a new thing. He's already done everything he's going to do. And so you can't get mad at God. And some people do. Why don't I have peace? Why don't I have joy? Why don't I get my healing? Why, why don't I have my deliverance? I, I want to share an illustration. Alex, my son-in-law, would you please come here? I'd like to give you something tonight. Long overdue. A Bible. Thank you very much. You're welcome, son-in-law. Could I please have your Bible? I thought I just gave it to him. Now he's standing over there acting like an idiot. 
Have you ever given a gift to somebody and they turn around and say, please, can I have it? Thank you. I want my button on. <laughs> you get my point? There are, no, I'm not making fun. I'm just trying to help you understand. There are people that say, God, please, please, please heal me. And he's looking at you like I was looking at Alex. You don't have any words for that. You're dumbfounded. You gave a gift and they're not even accepting it. They're still begging you for something that you already gave. And you're just silent. And you're crying out, God, do this, do that. Heal me, heal me. And he's looking down and said, didn't I do that 2,000 years ago? Didn't I pay for that at Calvary? Are you still with me? I'm talking about things that he's done for you that you don't have to beg for, but you have to receive. And you can't receive it if you don't understand what he's done. And it can't just be a head thing. It has to be a heart thing. It has to be a revelation of you understand that all spiritual blessings are yours. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, past tense, hath blessed us with how many? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places through who? Jesus Christ. He paid for it all. When he died at Calvary, he won the victory of all victories. Now, some of you have heard about Donald Trump. Maybe too much. But he did tell us one thing. He's very rich. I don't know. What is it? Two or three billion dollars? Can you see him outside standing in front of the bank? The bank doors are open. And he's, oh, I'm so poor. Somebody help me. Can you see Donald Trump out there? He's got, what, two or three billion dollars in the bank. He's got a checkbook. That's what I'm talking about. The bank of heaven. Jesus Christ filled it up with everything that you ever need. The bank of heaven is yours. If you've been born again, it's in you. Every blessing of heaven is already yours. And we don't have to beg God for it. We have to learn how to write the check, walk in there, and take what is ours. Amen. The joy of the Lord has already been paid for. It's yours. The peace of God has already been paid for. It's yours. The healing of the Lord is already yours. Take it. Receive it. Amen. The blessings of the Lord are ours. And I know that when we come to church tonight, we, we pray, and I, I, I've been guilty too. And we say, Lord, we're in church tonight. Please meet us here. Please join us. And we mean well. We really do. But my Bible tells me that he's omnipresent. And my Bible says that there's no place on this earth where he's not already there. I don't have to invite him into my situation. I have to learn how to get into his situation. So my prayer, you know, I'm, just, I'm playing with you a little bit, but I want you to get a revelation so you understand what is yours. 
Amen. And since God's omnipresent, we need, a, we need to pray a, a prayer according to the Bible. And you say, Lord, I got up this morning late. I didn't have time to do my devotions. I, I got a flat tire on the way to work, and then I got picked up by the, you know, a speeding ticket. And then, oh, it was a miserable day, and I didn't have a chance to eat anything. And here I'm at church, and he's talking about Thanksgiving. And Where are you, God? No, no, no. It's not about where God is. It's about you. Where, where are you? Amen. If I had a radio transmitter here, you know as well as I do, this place is full of radio waves. And there's no way you're going to know that. But if you had a radio and you turned the thing on, you're tuning into the waves that are already here, and you can pick up stations. But if you don't have the radio, you don't even know that there's that going on here. Well, I want you to know this place is full of angels. It's, it's full of God's presence. They're everywhere. And some of you in worship, you tap in, and you, you, you know what's there, and you see what's there, and you can rejoice at any moment, at any time, because you understand that God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am a present God in time of need, and all you got to do is enter in. Enter in. You'll never have me back. <laughs> okay, I'm having fun with you. Let's, let's talk about the Old Testament. Let's look at Psalm 51, 11. You know that the Old Testament and the covenants of the Old Testament are always based on performance. And uh, because God's spirit would lift from them. And here's David in Psalm 51, 11. And he's saying, cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Look at Psalm 71, verse 9. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. For my enemies speak against me. And they that lay wait for my soul taketh counsel together, saying, God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O oh God, be not far from me. O oh God, make haste for my help. Aren't you glad that's the Old Testament? Aren't you glad that's under the Old Covenant? If you are a New Testament saint and you pray the prayer that David prayed, it's not necessary. You don't have to pray. God's not going to cast you away. He said, I'll never leave you. He said, I'll never forsake you. He told the disciples, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And this time I'm going to live inside of those that believe in me. Amen. He is in us. He lives and dwells inside of us. We have the bank of heaven inside of us. We have all the blessings of God inside of us. He's never going to cast you away. We're living under a new covenant, the New Testament church. So if you pray an Old Testament prayer, you're not believing the New Testament covenant, you're praying in unbelief. And you wonder why you're not having the joy and the peace and all the good stuff that he won for you on Calvary. The Bible said it's the prayer of faith that's going to save the sick. It's the prayer of faith that's going to bring you to deliverance and joy. So the right way to pray would be, God, right now there's so much going on in my life. I'm just kind of out of sync and out of whack. I know you're there. I know you never left me. I know you've never forsaken me. 
But right now, I just feel like a lump of coal here. Would you help me, Lord? Would you renew my mind? Would you renew my spirit? Would you allow me to enter in to feel what, what's going on around me, Lord? I'm the problem. You're not the problem. You haven't forsaken me, but you're always here, Lord, and I know you're here. And when you start praying that kind of prayer and you're reminding God that you're the problem, he's not the problem, pretty soon you, you get to the place where your own life, you can enter in and touch him because he's the same everywhere. Amen. Anywhere you go, God is there. Now, there's still a fight, but the fight is standing on what has been purchased at Calvary. Amen. You know, there's quite a difference when you're in the army and you're trying to defend a position that you already have taken rather than trying to take a position. If you're trying to conquer that hill over there, it may take 100 men. Maybe 50 of them will die. And after you conquer the hill and from that vantage point, of that place called victory, maybe it only takes five or ten of those men to maintain that victory. If you understand the victory that God wrought in your life, we're not fighting for it. We don't have to do that. He's already done that. We're coming from the victory. We're on the vantage point on top of the hill defending what he's already done for us on Calvary. He has won the battle. He has won the victory. And he's in me. And if he's in me, the victory's mine. He said, I can have it. Woo! According to the Bible, he's already given you wisdom. He's already given you revelation. He's already given you prosperity. He's already given you healing. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. So what happened when you were born again? Your body was not born again. If you're six foot four, 350 pounds, after you receive the Holy Ghost and you get on a scale, you're still six foot four and 350 some pounds. It's not talking about your body. Your body was not born again. You understand that? Let me go a little further. Your soul was not born again. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Anybody here besides me have problems with my mind? I'm losing it sometimes. I'm lucky that I remember my name when I wake up sometimes. My mind has not been born again. My will? Tell you what, if your will is like my will, it's in a constant battle. You know, not my will, Lord, but thy will. There's a battle of wills. Emotions. Anybody here ever get angry? Has your soul been born again? Is it completely brand new? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. No, no. You know what was born again? Your spirit. Amen. Your spirit was born again. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. So when you were born again, God came into your spirit. Uh, this, is the, this is the best part of this message right now. 
When he came, when you were born again, he didn't come in seed form so it would continue to grow. When he gave you his spirit, he gave you everything that he did on Calvary. He gave you every victory that he won 2,000 years ago. Anything that he did is ours and it's living inside our spirit. It's the bank that he filled up with good stuff. And if we know what's in the bank, if we know what he's deposited inside of us, we are carriers of the Lord. And we can have those blessings anytime we appropriate it into our life. Hallelujah. That's where Romans 12 and 1 comes in. We have to keep renewing our mind. We have to feed on the word of God. We have to feed on it. You know, you, you know what a cow does. It, it chews and then it spits it up and it chews it again. That's meditating. You need to meditate on the scripture until that scripture gets out of your head and it gets into your heart. Until it's a revelation. Until you know what that scripture means spiritually. There's so many blessings in the Bible that you may not ever appreciate until you get to heaven and then it's too late. And he's going to say, you know, you're going to look back and say, you know, man, man, I could have done that. I could have had that. I could have enjoyed that. There's so many, many blessings. And when I pray now, I'm just mining. When I read the Bible now, I'm just mining what's already there. He's not going to do a new thing. There's nothing new under the sun. He's already done everything that he's going to do. He's not coming back anymore. He's already done it. He's paid the price. He's won the victory. And when I pray, I'm mining all the things that he's done for me. I'm reading the scriptures and I'm appropriating it in my heart, getting it out of my brain, down here in my spirit, where I know it's mine. Amen. It's a revelation. It's me and Jesus. I understand what I have. There's that wealth there. There's gold down there. I'm going to keep digging and keep praying. Not so that he likes me, so I can love him more. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> My poor Bible school students, they got this all year long. They always say that somebody has a hobby horse. This is mine. So, if someone asks you why you're not healed, and you say, I'm waiting on God. That's not right. You're not waiting on God. He's waiting on you. He's already done it. You understand what I'm saying tonight? If somebody says, I don't have peace, why not? I'm waiting on God. No. He's waiting on you. He's already provided it. He's waiting for you to enter in and receive it. You're not trying to get a healing you're trying to defend the healing that he paid for 2,000 years ago. And if we would spend more time defending what he did 2,000 years ago, we wouldn't have to keep trying to get something that is already done. Don't throw stones at me. Let's go to verse 4, Ephesians 1. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 
Do you know that when you cried out for the Lord to save you, that uh, you're calling on something that he took care of a long time ago? A long time ago. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Look at verse 6 of Ephesians 1. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Amen. He did that for us. But there are so many people that feel like they have to do things to make themselves acceptable to God. And it's like we're on this never-ending treadmill. Like we're always reaching out to something, not ever enjoying what he says is ours, but we're living in this constant state of condemnation, trying to do things and make him pleasing so that we can be accepted. And every time we reach out, it seems like that goal just gets further and further away. But here it says, he has already made us accepted. Amen. Because of his grace. Did you know the Greek for the word here that accepted in the beloved is the exact same word used in Luke chapter 1 when they said Mary was highly favored? There's only two times in the Bible where that, he, that Greek is used. Two times these words are used in the New Testament. And it's saying that if you're highly accepted, that you are highly favored. God did not leave anybody out. When I put that article together, I realized we have not seen the breakthrough in Vietnam that we wanted. But I had a stamp across the title, paid in full. It's already been paid for. And what you're enjoying here tonight is something that took place a long time ago. But the enemy would like to keep us always thinking that God is out there somewhere, that the blessings are out of reach somewhere, that if we want to be accepted, we got to do things. No, I do things because I love him. He loves me because of who he is. Yeah, I want to live right. Yes, I want to pray. Yes, I want to fast. Yes, I want to read my Bible. Yes, I want to be in church. Why? Because it helps me get closer to him. But there's nothing that I can do to make him love me anymore. But there's a lot of things I can do to love him more. And that's what we're doing as we worship him, as we pray, as we seek him. But religion, religion would have you believe that you're accepted by what you do, not what he's already done. And that's why we have so many performance Christians always doing so they can be accepted. Look at verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah. Everybody say Jesus. It's because of him. What he's done. Amen. Now I'm closing. 
if you were asked to write a prayer that would be read 2,000 years later from now, what kind of prayer would you write down? Well, if I know Christians, they would be full of their want lists. And we would say, Lord, send revival. Lord, save my brother. You know, Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. We, we have a, a whole bunch of want-tos in our prayer. But let's look at the prayer that Paul wrote for those believers that he was leading through Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> Paul said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's a prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Paul's prayer is, I want you to know what he's already done. I want you to enter in to what he did on Calvary. I want your eyes to be open. I want you to be enlightened. I want you to enjoy it now. Not what the Lord could do for them, but what he's already done for them and us. But we don't usually kind of pray that kind of prayer, do we? We pray, Lord, touch them, Lord, bless them, Lord, do this, Lord, do that. If you know what God has already done, you shift the whole dynamic to a different level. You're never living in condemnation like maybe you have been before. You never live in a place where you feel like you're not accepted, you're not wanted, you're not loved. When you enter into that place, you realize, and if you ever get a revelation what he did for you 2,000 years ago, your whole life will change. Your whole concept of serving God will shift, and you will live out of appreciation, and you will want to pray because you want to draw closer, and you will want to fast because you want to get in and mine out more of the blessings that he's already given you. And you will want to read the word of God, not quickly, but meditating. And so that scripture gets out of your head and into your heart where revelation makes it your own. It's truth you know. It's truth you understand. And when you start living in that dimension, everything shifts. Everything shifts. And you won't be begging God to send revival anymore. Don't you think he wants it more than you? Don't you think that's why he died? Don't you think he'd done enough? You got to remind him, Lord, do it again. Crucify yourself again. Let me drive another nail in your head. No, you need to pray that God send laborers. You need to pray for your loved ones and say, God, their eyes are blinded. 
their heart is calloused. Would you take the blinders off their eyes so they could enter in and see what I'm seeing? Could you open up their hearts so they could feel you? Not God reach out to them. No. What do you think God's done for 2,000 years? He's at work right now. He's never stopped working. His grace is everywhere. And when you start living with that dynamic and with that kind of revelation, Everything shifts. Everything changes. And that's Paul's prayer for us. And that's my prayer for you. Let's stand. And let's come in as a church tonight. Let me, I'll finish here in a bit. Just come, stand with me. I'm not going to bite. We all know we need revival, but God's done his part. His spirit is everywhere. His grace is moving. We need to try to see how we fit into this picture. He's chosen to team up with us humans, and many times he could do things, but he's waiting for us to get involved. And uh, my ministry, maybe yours is the same way. I, I, I can't just make a choice and do it. I kind of let God open up and he shows me where he's working and still I can't get involved until he invites me to join him. And when I join him, I know I'm in the middle of the will of God. I know that I'm accepted and he, he's called me there like Vietnam. Uh, I like to call Vietnam my no sweat ministry. I've been, I've been places where I sweated. I worked hard and I saw no results. Vietnam, he's already working He's touching the hearts. He just needs somebody to come and open it up to him, somebody to print a book, somebody to teach him. And when I get finished, just I tell these people this. I say, listen, I'm not here to be your leader. I'm not here to uh, split your organization. And I said, I know you're Baptists and you have Baptist doctrine. I said, I was just over at the CMA church and they have CMA doctrine. I was over here at the Mennonite church and they've got Mennonite doctrine. All I want to do today is teach you apostolic doctrine. And when I'm finished, hey, you can do with it what you want. I'm going back to the United States. No pressure. I mean, I've done my job. And I say, God, okay, I made the trip. I prayed. I fasted. I put all the PowerPoints together, and I've taught them. They're all yours. I'm going home. And that's basically how I'm doing it now because I can't do anything else. It's his church. I've done, I sowed the seed. Now, God, is your people. You do got to do what you got to do. And when you go to a home and you teach your loved ones, I used to pray for years for my family to get saved, and, and you know, and I didn't see any results. But he was working. They would tell me later. And when he finally came in, I saw results, but it took a long time. Don't ever think God's not working. You've got loved ones. They could be a 1,000 miles away sitting on a bar stool but the God that I know can pull up a chair right next to him. And, and speak a language that they understand. Come on, how big is your God? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches, look at this, of the glory of his inheritance. Where? In the saints. Hallelujah. It's in us. Just let the Lord move a little bit here. There's revelation in the house. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know what you have? Do you know what you have? What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. A lot of us, when we think of glory, we think it's over there in heaven. We think it's the streets of gold. Yet the scripture says that that glory is in the saints. I don't want to be one of them to get to heaven and, and I finally realize what I could have had down here on this earth. If all spiritual blessings have been given to us through Christ that are in heavenly places, where in our spirit we have all of Christ in us. Whatever Christ is, we are. Amen. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible declares that we have exactly what Jesus Christ has given to us. As he is, so are we, the Bible says. As he is, so are we. That doesn't make any sense in my body. That doesn't make any sense in my soul. But in my spirit, it makes sense. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. That doesn't make any sense in my body. It doesn't make any sense in my soul. But in my spirit, inside where the Holy Ghost dwells. Hallelujah. I have everything that Christ has. According to the scriptures. And I'm just, I'm a babe. I'm just learning how to pull more out. I don't think someone said when you get to heaven, it's not going to be you sitting on a stool playing a harp. It's going to take all eternity for you to see the glory and the beauty of what God is and what God has done. Eternity is not going to be boring. And I hope that your walk on this earth is not boring because the table is spread and whoever wrote that song about dining they probably didn't even know what they're writing about hallelujah is it sinking in it's probably not going to happen tonight. It's taken me a long time to let it sink in. Somehow when I, I first read that book when I was saved, there was something in it that intrigued me, and I kept reading it and kept reading it, and I'm still reading it, and I'm still getting more out of it. But I know one thing that I'll never doubt ever again. 
that I'm accepted. Can you get that much tonight? Can you get that much tonight? I'm accepted. I'm accepted. Hallelujah. What, what is it you want tonight that you don't have? Now, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you need to get that because with the Holy Ghost, you get all the rest, the rest of this. You got to be born again. You got to get the, you got to get this bank inside you. You got to get this vault of wonderful blessings. That's why it's so important to be born again of the water and the spirit so you can have that wealth of glory living in you. When I drive home tonight, I just might remind myself that I'm a billionaire. To Jesus. Let's lift our voices and thank him right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.